0: What's going on, guys? It is Sunday. Finishing up the weekend. Hope everybody had a good one. Sorry to interrupt podcasts here. Sean and I jumped right into baseball, breaking down the two wild card games between the Cubs and the Rockies. My Cubbies are done. My World Series pick is over with. Finished. Done. Then we moved on to the Yankees. They t- made easy work of the Oakland Athletics. We broke down that game. Then we went into the NL playoffs, pretty much sweeps across there. After that, we jumped into the AL playoffs. Astros are looking for a sweep. They are dominating the Cleveland Indians right now. And finally, we went into our New York Yankees, breaking down that series so far, what we liked from what we saw, what we didn't like, a lot more likes than dislikes, but hopefully they can pull that one out. Sean and I gave predictions moving forward. After that, we jumped into college football, broke down the games from last week, looked ahead to next week, and then we just previewed what we got coming up this week ahead. We have an NBA podcast that we are recording tonight that is going to be coming out Eastern Conference on Thursday, Western Conference on Friday and obviously our usual NFL podcast that we will record on Wednesday so everybody enjoy the pod and have a good night at sorry sports on Twitter at sorry underscore sports on Instagram sorry sports.com and shoot us an email sorry sports at yahoo.com if you have anything to say if you just want to say what's up you got some suggestions or you want to say fuck you whatever you want and enjoy the pod guys.
1: What's up guys, sorry to interrupt, we're recording our regular Monday rundown on a Sunday, getting it out of the way because Game 3 is tomorrow night. Tom, what's up man, how are you? What's
0: going on man, you're doing, uh, I know we only talk about NFL on Wednesdays, but you're already locked in at 3-1 and with your picks. First time above 500 for the two of us, I am looking to go 500. listen abysmal i need my sperm bank pick to come through (laughs) (laughs) listen
1: gotta separate myself from the pack a little bit there uh and seattle is winning right now took a chance i took a chance on your jets they came through for me i got another horribly disappointing crippling loss for the giants that we will discuss in depth on wednesday right now we're going to discuss the state of major league baseball and we're going to start off with of course you guessed it the new york yankees um takeaways from the wildcard game before we get into the series that they're playing right now against Boston. Um, Takeaway from the wild card game. You had a lot of confidence going into that game that I did yeah. not possess, you know, equally, but that is, were right, is man. good.
0: But there's, you know, listen, when I said Stanton was going to have a big hit and he did have a big home run in my brain, I thought I was saying judge. <laughs> I got them confused. They're both big guys, but of course judge has a big hit. He's had a big hit in every single game of the playoffs so far. The guy's an animal. He's a great player.
1: Could you start that game any better than no, what they did in was, the first inning? It was really... Severino striking out two of the three, get, retires the side in order. McCutcheon draws the walk, pimps the walk with a bat flip, and then Judge goes deep. Like, how could you ask for a
0: better start than that? Absolutely. I mean, the fact that you could basically sit back and relax after maybe the third inning was really nice. And that game was perfectly played, and it played out exactly as you and I predicted. You predicted the hench substitution and he of course comes in. I didn't in think he was coming in that back.
1: early, but good good move by Boone. I will every say.
0: button he pushed seemed to be right in that game. Yeah,
1: and you know what? He pushed a bunch that could have gone a lot of different ways. We were texting each other, I know you have to uh you have to kind of
0: separate yourself from from our text during the games because I err on the side of pessimism. No, it's not every game, but like you and a few others that are texting me like the game's over, I got to get you out of my life or else I'm going (laughs) to cause bodily harm to an object, a human, myself. So yeah, I got to, if I don't text you back, it's not because I didn't see the text. It's just, I got to get you out of my life when I'm watching these games (laughs) because with the playoffs, it's so much fun. I mean, you're living and dying with every single pitch. Yeah. It's so much fun, but it was a great way to start off the playoffs. Severino looks to be dominant again. And the pen looks really, really good. I mean, they only gave up a few runs. I believe Chad Green gave up a few in the first game with the Red Sox. I forgot who gave up the runs in the wild card game. Severino uh, gave up well, one.
1: Severino gave up one, and then um, and then they ended.
0: David Robertson gave up a run too. But honestly, who cares? I mean, the bullpen looks great, and the offense, especially in that game, everybody that you needed to came through. I mean, listen, Stanton had an A-Rod-esque late game where it didn't even matter, fucking tank job bomb, but nonetheless, it was a home run. Voight is tearing the cover off the ball. Yeah, he had that triple. Everybody's hitting well right now. Yeah, they are. With the exception of, I guess you could say, Gleyber Torres.
1: Right, yeah, him and Nduhar really haven't gotten the ball rolling yet, but, um, you know, as far as going back to that wild card game, one of the biggest moves that was made that you and I were discussing before you cut me out was the um was the move to Betances in with first and second nobody out in the fifth. I was surprised that he sent Severino back out there. If you look at that last batter of the fourth, you know, Sevy really did empty the tank as we predicted. You know, it looked like they were saying just cut it loose and give us four, which he did uh throwing 100 on that final pitch to get the strikeout of Lowry. And then, you know, you bring in Batances after Severino, you put him back out there to give up two runs. You know, you could tell he was done lucky. It didn't cost him. And then, you know, a guy who you generally don't want to come into a game with runners on base is Batances. Yeah. And, and that's what made me a little, a little bit scared. And that I've figured Robertson was the move because he's, yeah. he he's Robertson's, guys on base. Robertson's really been kind of in that fireman role, you know, put out the fire and, and defuse the situation and for him to go to Batantis, but I guess the thought process was was the A's don't run. They're well, not the Red Sox. Yeah,
0: and for everyone out there listening, I didn't shut you out during that wild card game. No, not that wild card all game. Hunky Dory during the wild card game. I shut you out during game one of the Red Sox series. Right. <laughs> but to go back to that game, I texted you this as well. I said, I don't like the move. I think he should have brought Batantis in for a clean 1 2 3 inning. To start off an inning, I do not like Batantis when he comes in with other people's runners on base. He seems to always work himself out of his own jams, but... Man, I've seen it a million times where he'll come in with two runners on base and he'll give up those two runs and only those two runs. I don't know if he doesn't care about them because they don't affect his ERA, but it just seems I think like he's just uncomfortable pitching with runners on base, which is what
1: made that move yep. relatively perplexing. But he know, comes
0: out next inning with a clean with a clean start and he's lights out. One, two, three.
1: Yeah, well he he retired the side in order, he, all three batters he faced in the fifth. You know, nobody advanced. He got two lazy fly balls and then a strikeout, and then took care of business in the sixth. And honestly, that was a move that it worked. And you could say, okay, well, the A's don't run, so you know the runners on base aren't really that big of a deal. Batantis has the stuff to strike out guys in in com- in complete control um, with ease when he's on. But I've always said, you know, if that move didn't work and Robertson sitting in the pen, who's used to be performing in that role, I mean, that's going to be something you really have to answer to. The next thing, too, is taking out Anduhar in the sixth. Now, it worked like clockwork that Hechevaria was able to come in and make a double, you know, a, a play to save a double down the line. That was just an incredible play of athleticism, really a shortstop playing third there. But if that game gets close again, now you lose Nduhar's bat, who's probably winning rookie of the year. So, again, it worked out, but you could tell those the Boone haters and the people who second-guess a lot of his moves, which we have done but not nearly to
0: the extent of some other guys, they were ready to to jump out and attack. Well, nonetheless, it worked out. Thank goodness. A few other takeaways from that game. Gary Sanchez looks locked in behind the plate defensively. He's yes. jumping around, saving pass balls left and right. He's no Sandy Leone, don't get me wrong, who... Saved that game, the first game for the Red Sox, like six times over. Yep. But he looks really good behind the plate. And, I mean, the bullpen, man, it just it looks really, really good.
1: It does. And you could see in that wild card game, too, from the from the start, you know, there were some sliders that Severino bounced. And Sanchez, you know, as if he'd been a 10-year gold glove winner, just sitting down, taking him off the chest protector. and Just the mechanics. He looked loose behind the plate. And you could tell after that first inning, Severino had a lot of trust in him. And that was something that obviously was not the case four weeks ago out in Oakland. So it looks like they got that cleaned up. Um, and the Yankees were able to take a game that you felt a lot more confident than I did. But it sure as hell was a lot easier than last year when they went down 3 nothing in the first um, and had to come back. So great performance. They're now playing in the division series. But before we get to that... Your cubbies, your boys from the from the from the town of Chicago, man, they are done. They are done.
0: Yeah, lost a little bit of money on that, and I also lost my I couldn't believe World it. Series pick. So I'm obviously, if I wasn't before, all in on the Yankees going to the World Series now, but. It's tough, man, it, when you're they in the can't prediction score. business. They yeah, couldn't they, score. They could, that offense has not been doing well, and I, I kept saying they're heating up, they're heating up, they're heating up. They weren't. I was just trying to, you know, <laughs> will it will it into existence, but they could not hit, and that bullpen was just decimated by the end of the season. So, I
1: mean, Lester did what Lester does. You have one run in seven, but Kyle Freeland, the guy that we were kind of not really sure about, Pitched a hell of a game for Colorado.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean the Cubs this was a down year by the Cubs standards. I mean, they make two giant pitching signings, starter signings and a and a reliever signing of Brandon Morrow, who was in and out of the off the DL this whole year. Like you said, it's a loss year for Darvish and they signed another pitcher. His name slips me right now. Who was supposed Tyler to Tyler
1: Chatwood, he was not good.
0: He was supposed to be another, you know, number three, number four big time starter that could be a two starter on most other teams. He was one of those Rockies pitchers that people looked at and yeah. said, If you get him away from Colorado, he's
1: he's a ground ball guy and he, he's gonna be pretty good and and the Cubs got nothing out of him. This year. Out of,
0: you know, and the bullpen by, you know, mid. March or whatever, you know, mid whatever. Who cares? In March, yeah, I, right? I would say Before probably, the season even starts, I was gonna
1: say probably once Morrow and Pedro Strop went out, which was in, in which was in July. You know, they didn't have the prospects where they could go get relief pitching of any real talent. You know, they had a lot of guys that they were calling up from AAA, hoping they could produce, or taking you know flyers on on some other guys. Their big their big mid season move was Cole Hamills, who really pitched great for them and I think if they were had to advanced he probably would have been able to pitch a good game or two and but that the end of the deal for them man like I don't remember know if you remember the two the way the Yankees finished the 2015 season where it was an older team and they just couldn't hit down the stretch and you knew that you know they were basically zombies going into that wild card game I saw a lot of similarities with the Cubs to that this year. I mean, they weren't scoring runs for a long time. I mean, they led the major, they had 32 games in the second half of the year where they scored less than three runs. So, I mean, that's really, really tough to win games that way, no matter how good your starting pitching is, particularly when your bullpen isn't, isn't getting the job done. I mean, they made moves. They got Daniel Murphy who, who ignited a bit of a spark when he first got there but their situational hitting was bad. They didn't have a lot of guys that could, that could move runners over. It was a lot of solo home runs. And they fell to a Rockies team that really w- had fallen the night before to the Dodgers losing the NL West. They had to do a quick turnaround and go out to Chicago to the north side and, and play a Cubs team at home. But really, I mean, the way the Cubs played against the Brewers the first day, in game 163 for the nl central division crown wasn't good and then they just replicated that the next night against another team and and credit to the rockies to go in there with that schedule change and those different time zone modifications but wow you know that was what a disappointing way for the Cubs season to end
0: yeah hand up on that one i've been i guess i was wrong all season um There was rumors, you know, is Joe Maddon coming back? Of course he's coming back. He's the first manager to win you a World Series in 108 years. Everybody relax, not to mention that he's brought you to another NLCS and the playoffs almost every single year he's been there. Everybody relax. The Cubs will be fine. I'm sure they're going to be in on the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. So... I'm really not worried about the Cubs in the long term. They still have a ton of young talent, and they're probably going to go out and retool with some more pitching. Darvish coming back healthy next year. It'll be interesting to see how they, how they move on. But moving on to the team that beat them to win the division and the team that beat them to make it to an NLDS, Milwaukee Brewers are smacking the Colorado Rockies around. The Rockies' offense looks, you know, anemic, slow. Their pitching has been nothing. Christian Yelich continues to roll. That middle of the lineup is potent in in Milwaukee, and their pitching has done more than enough to to win these games. So, they're they've
1: probably been the best team in the National League, right there with the Dodgers in the second half. And obviously, the Dodgers had struggled a little bit, but the Dodgers were still you know they were they had a couple win streaks of of five plus in the second half. Yep. The Brewers, though, that bullpen. Is just ridiculous. I mean, you're throwing Jeremy Jeffress, you're throwing Josh Hader, you're throwing Corey Knebel, just one after another in those mid to late innings, and, and they're they, getting
0: out to leads early. And then yeah. once the you, we said it earlier, once that bullpen gets a hold of you, it's over. It's done. Yelich
1: has been incredible. Obviously, probably the NL MVP. Then you've got Lorenzo Cain showing why he's a big postseason performer.
0: And an underrated thing about this team is defensively, I think they're the best team and wins above replacement and runs saved as well. Yep, so. Jonathan
1: Scope has really added another dimension for them at second base, taking over for Jonathan Villar, who was really not a stud at second at second base. So Jesus good.
0: Aguilar, a guy they picked off the picked up off the scrap heap from Cleveland, is. You know he had a thirty-plus home run season. He's been this a good year. player for a few years he now. A he bomb was bomb today. Yeah, too, he was
1: really good uh, last year for for the Brewers when they were making a run. Um, but you could see that that experience really helped them, and and knowing that they had a good nucleus of guys that they could if they could make moves like they did by signing Orlando Cain, making a trade for a Christian Yelich, and then what they did during the season too, particularly in the uh, towards August where they got Gio Gonzalez. I mean that's a big move for them. Curtis Granderson, I promise you, is going to have a big hit at some point in this postseason yep. for them off the bench, maybe a spot start here or there out in right field or something. But that team is clicking on all cylinders, and I think the Rockies just ran out of gas. That's an emotional win. As I mentioned, You know, changing time zones. They finished out in L.A. Then they had to go to Chicago the next night, play a 12-inning wild card game, and then turn around, go up to Milwaukee against a team that was just really, really hot it's tough to do that and, and so it looks like the brewers are going to sweep them today they were winning four nothing in the in the seventh inning um as we said with that bullpen i expect them to keep that lead and then they'll get a nice rest before the nlcs starts um second both teams
0: look to be we'll move on to the next one after this both teams are gonna have a nice rest
1: yeah yeah because because now in the second national league division series Boy, the Dodgers have just stomped all over the Braves. The Braves look like the offense moment's a little day. bit too big for them.
0: Yeah, offense all day. The pitching is not as good as Milwaukee has been, but they've definitely done more than enough. Well, Kershaw they threw as well. two
1: shutouts in two straight games. That's the first time that's happened in, in years. I mean, Hung Jin Ryu just carved up the Braves in game one, and then Kershaw was vintage last night. I mean— those guys, I don't know. Obviously, I don't think their pens is good. It's not, but if they if they get starting pitching performances like that, and they can jump out early, like like Jock Peterson hitting the home run in the first inning of Game One, I Machado mean that just sets two. the tone. Machado in Game Two, and the pitchers can you know just throw shutdown inning after shutdown inning after that. You're building confidence, and you're and the biggest thing that I've noticed from looking at a team like the A's. The moment was just too big for them. You could tell right off the bat that Liam Hendricks was not prepared for that game and the rest of the team, you know, swinging at pitches they usually weren't swinging at. I'm looking at the Braves in this series. The moment's just, it's not that I think they're going to learn from this and they're going to be back there for many more years the because Braves of are gonna be a how good they for are. A long time. They are. But right now, it just looks like. You know the Dodgers who were there every single year in the NLDS, NLCS, Game 7 of the World Series last year, basically the same team coming back year after year, they, they've been there, done that, and they know how to step it up a level, particularly at home, and I think it was just a really bad matchup for the Braves, because if they didn't get off to a hot start, you knew that they just were not Every every inning is just compounds and manifests over and over again. And if you can't score runs and you and you can't jump out to leads, or your starting pitching it isn't shutting guys down in the first couple innings, you can't build any kind of momentum. and And they're gonna make a couple moves in the off and the the young nucleus is gonna is gonna learn from this, I think. But right now, this is this is an easy Dodger situation. But I am very much looking forward. To a Dodgers Brewers series, really fun because both teams are really hot. Both teams have a lot of offensive firepower, good starting pitching. Obviously the Brewers bullpen is a lot better than the Dodgers bullpen is, but I think as far as depth, the Dodgers rotation is a lot better than the Brewers is. yeah And they're gonna have to face a much harder lineup than that of the Colorado Rockies, you know, kind of the sleepwalking Colorado Rockies right now. So I can't wait for that NLCS. And it looks like it's gonna happen
0: very soon with these two teams. Yeah, they getting look sweeps. to be locked in. The last thing I'll say about the Dodgers is they got off to a slow start this year. They made a couple of really good moves going out and getting Dozier, but I think the most important thing that happened to this team was getting Justin Turner back. When they got him back, they imme- when they got him back 100%, they immediately went on a run. And they have been uh, seemingly unstoppable. They had one of the best records in baseball in the second half of the year. And I mean, it, like you said, this Brewers series again that they're pretty much locked in. It's pretty much inevitable at this point. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think so.
1: Uh, and I think that's you know Obviously if baseball had it their way it would be Dodgers Cubs again but they're getting a really good Brewers team and and there's something to be said for the way that the talent level is and and what the competition could be and I think that if the Dodgers and Cubs were playing I think that could be a four game sweep in this I could see this going six definitely maybe even seven cuz I think both teams have really great offenses. I think there's neutralizing between the superiority of the Dodgers rotation over that of the Brewers, but the Brewers bullpen is so much better than that of the Dodgers. So I can't wait for that series. I want to move on next to the American league. Let's and talk let's about talk the a, sweep. That's <laughs> about to happen. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's talk Houston, about the third sweep of the major league playoffs. So Houston I think just Corey, I think Corey Kluber is the American league version of Clayton Kershaw that's a good call he clearly is shell-shocked from what happened last year now Kluber in 2016 with the exception of game 7 really was good all through that postseason run when they knocked off um, the Blue Jays the Red Sox and then the Blue Jays um, getting to the World Series where they faced the Cubs he was great in game one against the Cubs uh, and game four, but in game seven, he didn't have it. And obviously we know what he didn't do against the Yankees last year. Should have lost game two if it wasn't for some crazy circumstances there and laid an egg in game five and Didi, you know, took care of him. He just picked right off where he left off. I mean, Houston was smacking him around on Friday and Verlander is the opposite. I don't know if there's a guy in this generation who I'd rather have on the mound in a postseason game than Justin Verlander. That guy with the stuff that he possesses and that demeanor that he has, obviously we knew it all too well watching him last year just carve up the Yankees. He was great in Detroit and he's carried that to Houston and with how good that rotation is, I i mean, Jesus, the options that they have and, and I think Cleveland is, you know, having lost to Garrett Cole yesterday, they got to go back home for game three. You're getting Dallas Keuchel. I think this could be another sweep.
0: Yeah, it definitely could be another sweep. This offense is very, very potent. I don't think the Indians, although they have a very talented team, can keep up with the talent on this Astros team. And Alex Bregman is just killing everyone. He's got him and Betts have the quickest hands I've probably ever seen. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, the way he turns on a ball inside is nuts. Oh, yeah. He, he's perfectly built for that short porch that they have in uh, left field as well. Oh, yeah. You don't really have to say much about this series because the Astros have pretty Correa much done it. Correa and Altuve have had
1: big hits. Uh, freaking Marwin Gonzalez, 4 for 4 yesterday.
0: Yeah, this team is just stacked top to bottom. Marwin Gonzalez would be hitting, like, third to fifth on a lot of Major League Baseball teams, and probably seventh he probably hits 7 He had that big home run in Game 7
1: last year. Uh, in uh, in the World Series, he's had a bunch of big postseason hits in his career, man. He's a great player, man. So I mean, can at, play anywhere defensively and play it well throughout the infield. The lineup is deep and the outfield, for and the matter. rotation is stacked. And they haven't had to get to a point where their bullpen could maybe, you know, be tested. But definitely, I know for a fact they feel a lot more confident this year having Roberto Osuna at the back yeah. end of a game. I mean, the than bottom. The bottom
0: line is this. The team won the World Series last year, and they went out and got a Roberto Azuna, who is a much better closer than Ken Giles, and they replaced a Colin McHugh or whoever who's going to the pen with probably a top-five pitcher in the AL or even in baseball right now with Garrett Cole. What else can you say? Yeah, nothing. And I know they cooled off in the middle of the season and they got hot late, but this team is just out-talenting the Cleveland Indians. So we thought this would be a much more interesting series. I think the Indians lay down and they just take it and this is a sweep, which is a bad thing for the two teams that we're going to talk about next, whoever moves on, because that team is going to be really well well rested. And this game this series might go five with the Boston Red Sox and our New York Yankees. That's right. We both both partially own them. Real quick sidebar. I just want to say this on the part of baseball I
1: know that Yankees and Red Sox is going to get the numbers, right? But it's such a regional rivalry. I don't know if people out in California really care about Yankees, Red Sox. Bad job with the scheduling, constantly putting the Yankees and Red Sox in the night games and not getting a chance to showcase a really good Astros team who was in the World Series, defending World Series champions last year, and a great Indians team. I think baseball needs to do a better job of acknowledging that there's a lot of great competition all the way around. And yes, you want to preserve the greatest rivalry your game has in Yankees-Red Sox. But trust me, if that's a 2 o'clock game on a Friday at Fenway, people, people are going to be watching that and to- and tuned in. And I'm sure a lot of people would have liked to watch that game one of the uh, of the Indians-Astro series. So I just wanted to make a little note on that. I thought that, that was – when I looked at the schedule, obviously, it's like, you know, I think you can put these games on. A, a primetime timer, right, They got to get their money, man. They do. So we will go on to uh, our partially owned New York Yankees. So and- <laughs> let's break
0: down game to game here because this is the only series that really has anything interesting going on. Um, first game, I was right about Chris Sale, not to toot my own horn. The guy came out and he pretty much dominated the Yankees. The one thing I liked from the Yankees, I understand that the Red Sox offense looked great and Hap looked pretty bad, and goddamn, talk about quick hands. That home run on that pitch by J.D. Martinez... it wasn't a bad was pitch. was insane, no. Right, right on the inside corner, probably about belt high, and he just pulls that right over the monster at 108 miles an hour. Just insane. But the thing that I take away from that game, because this is my season of being Mr. Positive, I'll let you go ahead and be Mr. Negative is that they got to the bullpen. They got within one run, and they exposed every single pitcher minus Sale in that bullpen, including Yeah, They scored runs off almost all of them. And I was really happy that they busted into that bullpen and they made them pitch a lot of pitchers. And listen, there's no such thing as an emotional victory or a mental victory in the playoffs or in pro sports at all. In sports, at all, in my opinion, but you got to take some positives away from that, and that's what I take away. The bullpen looks great, even in that game, it looked good. Hap was just the one downside for the Yankees there.
1: Yeah, and, and Hap, you know, that was a tough, that was a tough performance from him. But they had Lance Lynn come in and and pitch him a couple of innings, and Chad Green. I agree with you, honestly. Sale looked really, really good, but only in innings one through four. In the fifth, the Yankees got to him a bit, and he threw a lot of pitches. And the one benefit was, was that, you know, because he's been shelved with on the DL a lot, he had, his pitch count really hadn't been built up, so yeah. it was at 100. And the Yankees knew that. You know, it's a big thing when you know a guy like Sale who, when healthy, can give you 115, 120 pitches, especially when you have a bullpen like that. You know They're going to try to keep sailing as long as they possibly can. They knew that they weren't going to have that luxury. So the Yankees waited him out even in the innings that they didn't score. They were making him throw a couple of extra pitches per bat per inning. And then Voight had the double. The Yankees scored a few. The one tough part, I'm not going to say they should have won because anytime you fall down 5 nothing, you don't expect to win. But that seventh inning when the Yankees loaded the bases with no outs against Barnes, That was brutal because you get Giancarlo coming up and striking out. He missed two fastballs up, one of which he just missed, the other one he was really late on, and then Barnes threw his best pitch of the entire inning, just dropping a perfect 12-6 hammer curveball down. Every single hitter in a lineup is going to swing at that. And you had Voigt ground into what could have been a double play, but Gardner having to come in for Hicks because of the hamstring injury. Which I'm not that upset about. No, I mean, you. you Hicks is really, really good. But if you have to lose him and you have Gardner. That's fine. That's I can live fine. with that. Yeah, if I think a lot to, of people would. If
0: you were to ask me, you know, somebody somebody has to get injured on the Yankees and who do you want to replace them? An outfielder, and I'd prefer to be Hicks over all the rest of them, even McCutcheon, who I think is playing better and more Battle-tested, as you would say. Big then double Hicks last night. In the playoffs, Gardner coming in does not hurt me as much as if D.D. had to come out. or. Oh, or God, Judge no. If, if you, you lose
1: D.D. or Judge, we've seen that this year, how that cripples that offense. But, yeah, seventh inning, Gardner breaks off, breaks out that double play, yep. they score a run, and then D.D. grounds out. And that really was where I felt they lost the game. Because if they tied that at that point... Yeah, they're, the Red Sox are in trouble They're right there. there. And because... You know, the next inning, Robertson shuts them down. The Yankees are going to hold And them. then Judge hits that yeah. solo home run to lead off the inning against Kimbrell in the ninth. But big move, I thought, by by Alex Cora putting in Porcello for the eighth inning before Kimbrell came in. I thought that was a big move because he obviously didn't trust anybody else coming out of that pen. How could you? And he didn't want to go to Kimbrell for six. He, you saw Kimbrell come in to get the last out of the eighth because he also didn't want Porcello throwing too many pitches. He gave up that walk. And they had him out of there within 20 pitches. But that just goes to show the vulnerability of the Red Sox bullpen. If you're touching up all their relievers and you got to bring in Rick Porcello, who's your Game 3 scheduled starter, now Game 4, to just get outs because you trust him more over anybody else, that's bad. Then Judge leads off the ninth, hitting Kimbrell. They didn't do anything else after that. But, yeah, they built that momentum. And then to slide into Game 2, I mean, Tanaka, man, you've said it. I've said it. Yankee Nation has said it. He's right up there with guys you want pitching big games. He's just
0: added to his postseason performance last night. Definitely. But a last side note, just piggybacking off your Stanton thing. We knew this about the guy, but you didn't really see it because he played in Miami for 9 to 10 years. I mean, first of all, the guy, I swear to God, he decides to swing before he steps in the box every single pitch. He's swinging at balls at his feet, and I've been saying this all year. He's swinging at balls above his head. Have a fucking approach up there. You can judge both swing at the high pitch but, so no, much. No, and and judge. I will let, I will give him the benefit of the doubt because Judge takes his walks. He's a really good approach at the plate, and he's clutch. I can't say a bad thing about Aaron Judge in the, at all right now. But aside from standing, striking out in the seventh inning, not taking the bat off of your shoulder. In the ninth inning, when you know Kimbrell's a little bit nervous after Judge just took him Apo Taco deep. I mean, come on. Like, you're one of the premier power hitters in the game, and you don't even take the bat off your shoulder, or maybe swing as hard as you can and foul one back. Get Kimbrel a little rattled, and maybe he hangs one after that. And it's a one run game. It's just unbelievable. But I guess you're going to have to live and die with this for the next six years or whatever you Ten. got left to. Oh, fuck. 10. Jesus Christ. Um, I haven't I, looked at that contract
1: I, 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 in a while. I will say this. I, I think it, it, part of it's because I, I want to see the guy do well because he's not a diva player. He's, he's a, he is a teammate. Everybody in there loves him. He wants to just be one of the guys. I'm not ready to jump on the bandwagon of him being the next A-Rod. I don't love that comparison. I don't think he's a guy that's going to only hit home runs in meaningless situations and that he's not clutch. Listen, J.D. Martinez, if people want to make that comparison, certainly has an edge over him, especially what he did in game one. But listen, Stanton's going to be a part of whatever the Yankees do this year that's positive. I think he's going to have a big hit here or there. He's owned the Red Sox this entire season. That was a horrible at bat. I'm not ready to say he's not clutch. He's never had a chance up Absolutely, until just yeah. now. I mean, you can't judge a guy like that. They did it in game in the first home game of the year when he struck out five times. And without him this year, they probably they definitely don't get home field advantage, and they probably don't even make the playoffs because for a solid couple of weeks when Judge was out, he did carry the team before he cooled off. But. I mean, going listen, back to The game, Yankees
0: shouldn't even be here right now They're a small market team That's now. right We're They're gritty and yeah, yeah They're, they're the, the underdog red, Yankees exactly. Only 100 wins Yeah and the Red, red Sox, Sox Have the big budget team Highest payroll the in baseball $247 million. Yankees shouldn't even be here right now So what so are we even we talking about? You can just enjoy it
1: man <laughs> yeah. I mean uh, Like the little engine that could right? Yeah, absolutely um, As Brian Cashman coined that term Back in the offseason. Um <laughs> But going back to game two Obviously, Tanaka zeroed in. That was great. But talk about picking up where you left off the night before, even though they lost, kind of to your point of that moral victory. Judge again, man, off Price. And I cannot say this enough. You get beaten down time and time again. I mean, he's facing two demons, Price, that is. One, he's not good in the playoffs anyway. And two, he has to face a team who he might as well be pitching for them whenever he opposes them because – He's not helping the Red Sox.
0: Yankees own a lot of real estate in that head of They do. They really do.
1: So he's, you know, there's guys who you know are beaten when they go to the mound. In a game like that, you could tell he didn't want any part of that game. And Aaron Judge coming up in the first inning, going deep over the left center wall. And then Sanchez the next inning, he doesn't even get five outs. The Yankees have complete control. Tanaka had his was on his roll, you know, throwing first pitch strikes, hitting the corners, moving the ball up down in and away, had the Red Sox hitters completely off balance all night and then turned it over to a stellar bullpen leading with Betances. Let me tell you, man, there's not many guys I'd rather see in a big spot than Tanaka. And and it was really the the two were such polar opposites of each other. One guy, you knew he wanted the ball in that spot. He couldn't wait to get it because if the Yankees had the one game to nothing lead, he gets you to game three with a 2-0 lead. And if you lose, you don't feel better about anybody else other than him pitching that game to tie up the series. And then for Price, I mean, talk about killing momentum. I mean, he, you can see why Red Sox fans are just tired of him because all of his success is just so hollow because it never comes in big
0: spots. Yeah, I mean, the guy had a great year under 4ERA plus 15 wins, but it's all when it doesn't matter. He's a- the A-Rod of pitching, I guess you would call him. But, I mean, that game was great. I have so many big takeaways from that. First of all, the bullpen looks dominant. Tanaka, you said everything you possibly could about him, and the Yankees broke into that bullpen And made them throw so many guys in the second inning. What a way! I mean, what a way to have. I wish they were playing tonight. Yeah, no, I I really do too, because they they saw pretty much every single pitcher out of the bullpen. You know, the Joe Kelly Fight Club, all this bullshit. (laughs) Sanchez is, you know, he looks like the best hitter in the world right now hit a couple bombs last night. This team looks great and the bullpen looks amazing as well. You can't feel any better going into the Bronx 1-1 which is when you're when you're the home, you know, you're the away team. You expect You wish that you go one and one in those series. You're pretty much in the driver's seat right now. You got your ace on the mound next time. Hopefully Severino comes out, has a little bit of adrenaline, looks electric. Like he did in the wild card game. Absolutely. Stifles the Red Sox early. And maybe the Yankees can buy, you know, squeeze a run or two out early and just slam the door. Two-nothing win, I'll take it all day. Two things that are big to me. One, it worries me. Chapman, I know he's throwing 96. I'd give my He was hitting 100. I give my left nut to throw ninety six, but it worries me because he's not throwing a hundred consistently, and I think he's a little fatigued, which he shouldn't be because he had a hell of a lot of time. Off. I don't think he's fatigued; he I just don't hurt. think he's healthy. Yeah, I, I think, that think that
1: knee. I think that knee yeah. is still a problem, especially now in the colder weather where that leg doesn't warm up as much and the muscles and joints don't feel as as loose. That's a tough. That's a tough atmosphere to pitch in, but. I think that what they've done so far with him has been great, and I know the circumstances as well. You know, in the wild card game, you have the five-run lead. You let him close it out knowing it's no big deal. In game two of this series, right, nice lead, good cushion, let him go out there, kind of take care of business. Definitely not hitting 100 yet, but he is a guy that we've seen that he needs to have that really – tough situation to come into where his adrenaline is at an all-time high that seems to be when he pitches his best when he has a four-run lead he does seem to go on cruise control a little bit more he seems to be throwing more 96 97 not 100 101 and his sliders more get me over as opposed to the one where he's going for the punch out so I don't worry about him all that much yet. You know, he hasn't been put in a situation. Obviously, he doesn't pitch well against Boston. That's been well documented. But I like the positions that they've been in where they've gotten him into the ninth inning role with comfortable leads to let him kind of get that leg back under him because he needs to pitch. He can't He can't be one of these guys that doesn't pitch for a couple days and then has to go out in a meaningful game and he can't find the plate. So, But I agree with your takeaways. I think Sanchez... There's not many guys on this team that I say need huge hits. I mean, McCutcheon had a two-run double yesterday. He's a pro, man. I know he hasn't played in a tremendous amount of postseason games, but you can, you just know no moment's too big for him. Sanchez is a guy who we've talked about at nauseam due to his more of his defensive struggles, but this year his offensive struggles. And I know he's had good success against David Price, and he's had a lot of success at Fenway Park. He was locked in. You could see that his focus of his in the wild card game was up a notch. Severino felt comfortable throwing to him, and that relaxes him at the plate. And for him to hit hit that home run off Price in the second inning, and then hit that three run bomb off of off of um, off of Rodriguez last night in the seventh to really put the game out of reach. That's a big moment for him. You know, he can pimp that home run. He can feel good going back home. He's a guy who needs to have a lot of confidence. I don't worry about guys like Glaber Torres yet. I think Sanchez and Stanton are the two guys because obviously Judge is kind of doing that next A-Rod thing or uh, that next Jeter thing of just having big hit after big hit in the postseason. Obviously, Didi's success in the postseason is legit. Same with Gardner now. So, Stanton and Sanchez really need to have that confidence and that next level of focus and to get Sanchez rolling, I think he continues to wreak havoc on this series.
0: Absolutely, man. Before we look ahead to games, you know, three, four, five, the one thing that I don't think a, a lot of people have noticed and a, a not diehard fan would notice is a guy that got taken off the Red Sox roster, which I think is massive for the Yankees, who can't come back to the World Series if the Red Sox make it there, is Stephen Wright. The Yankees especially with all these Good hard point. throwers, cannot Good point. hit this knuckleballer. And when I saw that he had knee inflammation, I mean, listen, I hope he gets well maybe after the season. I was so happy to not see him on the roster because watching those 18 games this year and when he pitched against the Yankees. Couldn't touch him. They could not touch him even a little bit. It, it reminded me of Tim Wakefield. It really did. Who the Yankees hit pretty well, honestly, but they cannot hit this guy at all. Well, Wakefield was a. There would be games where the Yankees would get shut out for eight
1: innings, or they would knock him around and he'd be out by the second. But this guy, right, man, they they don't they, they don't never pitch, hit him.
0: They don't pitch him nearly as often as they did Wakefield. But when he comes in. It's always lights out, and I I really I really like it that the Yankees don't have a guy that can throw those bats off and throw them into a slump to where you're facing Sale throwing a hundred and then you're going back and facing him and then another guy that throws a hundred. They're facing only hard throwers and they're not really facing aside from Sale anybody that can go out there and truly dominate them. So you got to have a lot more well, confidence going into I'm it.
1: I'm going to segue that because right now. The Red Sox announced that tomorrow will be uh, Nathan Ivaldi pitching game three. Now, he's not Chris Sale, and but you have said when we when they made the trade for him, he's going to help them a lot. And he had a couple of classic Ivaldi games, getting smacked around by the Rays in one start, the Orioles in another. But have you seen his numbers against the Yankees this year? Because in three starts, two that really mattered. He pitched two innings in the last game of the season. That was irrelevant for both teams. But in two games against them, he's pitched 16 innings and has given up one run, and his strikeout to walk ratio is off the charts. He's a guy that is tough because he throws that cutter now into lefties that's really hard for them to hit. And he throws so hard that, you know, especially with guys like Judge and Stanton, who likes to swing at the pitch up that's a very uncomfortable at bat because he throws the ball hard and now he has movement on that fastball, which he didn't really have during his time with the Yankees. He really learned that in Tampa and has brought it with him to Boston. He scares me because this is a moment for him that could kind of change and alter his, the way people think about his career. You know, he was this top pitching prospect for the Dodgers moved in that crazy trade with the Marlins, never really got, never really got it together in miami the yankees took a flyer on him he showed flashes of brilliance but never consistently enough blew out the shoulder again at fenway park in a start in 2016 the rays sign him off the scrap heap and boston takes him and now at it at his start in yankee stadium in game three of the playoffs where the momentum can shift either which way he's a tough matchup for the yankees and, and i i don't I don't love the fact that they're facing him. I just hope that the moment becomes a little too big for him. The stadium's going nuts. They can take away a couple of runs from him early and never allow him to settle down.
0: Yeah, for game three, I think that Severino comes out electric, and I think they do steal one to two runs against Ivaldi, and I think this game ends up being 2 nothing Yankees looking to take the series with CeCe on the bump against, I don't even know who's pitching. Porcello, for the
1: Red Sox. Rick Porcello.
0: Okay, I, I like our chances, to be honest. If we had lost that game um, last night, it's a wrap. They oh, yeah. We probably would have got well, swept. Well, Brett
1: Gardner called game two a must win, and Glaber Torres you know, on the other side of the spectrum career-wise, echoed that. So you can tell, you know, this Yankee team, I give them credit. They could have won game one, won't say they should have, but they seem to have that kind of next gear, which is exciting to see. You know, they definitely did in the wild card game. They did actually prelude to that with that four-game set in Tampa that kind of put them, you know, in the driver's seat to get that home field uh, advantage in the wild card game. Stepped all over Oakland's throat in the wildcard game. Could have won game one in Boston, didn't, but then they, t- they took momentum in game two. Now you're heading back to Yankee Stadium, anything can happen. And if last postseason taught us anything, you know the Yankees have not lost at home, knock on wood, since the 2015 AL wildcard game. So Huge even the staff. best Huge. even the best pitchers. I mean, they knocked around Keichel last year. They knocked around Morton last year. They knocked around McCullers last year. I'm not going to say the A's had anything great, but Hendricks, you know, was pitching well for them, and they even smacked around Blake Trinan, who was basically unhittable all season. So you hope that they could continue that momentum. You know, these young guys, especially Judge, just loves playing at Yankee Stadium, and they feed off of it. So let's hope for the best tomorrow in, in that series and, and see if they can go up 2-1. Yeah,
0: absolutely. What I'm going to look for tomorrow is just for Judge and Voight to continue tearing the cover off the ball. And maybe a big hit who uh, from a guy who likes to hit hard pitching, and that's Anhar. Yeah. He loves a fastball, man. So hopefully he goes hunting tomorrow and he connects on one. I think
1: Neil Walker is going to have an opportunity tomorrow as well or at some point in this series to make, have a big hit. He's done it a lot this year in pinch hitting spots. Uh, late in games as a defensive replacement and gets in an at bat. I think Neil Walker could do some damage and please give me that Red Sox bullpen. If the game's close as the Yankees to me tomorrow, man, I, I, I wonder how you feel about it. Just keep the game within one or two runs heading into the seventh or eighth shit. Even maybe the ninth because I think that the Yankees focus, and I think their at-bats just get better and better as the game goes on, and they can feel the tension of that home field crowd. They've had a lot of big come-from-behind wins and walk-offs this year at home. A couple against Boston, actually, in games that looked lost. Shit, maybe they could do it again.
0: Well, I'd prefer that they had the lead, of Well, course, no shit, but... but <laughs> Worst-case scenario, yeah, keep it within one or two, and hopefully they can jump on one of the guys out of the bullpen that's not named Kimbrell. So that's pretty much what, – what are you feeling? What are your predictions actually for, for the next three games looking ahead? Well, at least two is guaranteed. I, I think that they do win tomorrow, but I think it's super
1: close and it's not a comfortable game. I think I think I'd biggest, probably
0: stopped texting you after the third inning. I
1: think that's probably your best bet. If you get me through three, if that's actually good on your part, that's a lot of patience that I appreciate that. Um, no, I, I think that – I think they can steal tomorrow – It's a huge momentum game, and playing in New York is huge. Obviously, the stat that I just gave is very much indicative of of that home field advantage that they've cultivated at the new place, especially with this young group of guys. And then I think CeCe in Game 4 is going to give you everything he's got. If you're down 2-1, he's going to give you a really good chance to win. And if the bullpen can continue to go the way that it's been going, the Yankees win in 4 if somehow they stutter tomorrow and they got to go pitch game four, CC's going to pitch a good game. I told you, I like him against the Red Sox a lot better in Yankee Stadium than I do at Fenway Park. And then you get half a chance to redeem himself against Sale. Sale, again, is is on, a, is on a pitch limit, you know, 100. And if you can weigh out his at-bats and keep the game close, I really think that Red Sox bullpen is so vulnerable. And you can see Alex Cord does not feel comfortable about anybody that he's bringing in there other than Kimbrel. So, I think they win tomorrow, but I think it's a close one. How about you for games four and then maybe five?
0: I think that they win tomorrow. I've already said it a couple times on the pod, two to nothing. I think it's a nail-biter. Like I said, I probably stopped texting you and a few others right around the third inning. And then I think CC comes in and turns back the clock and pitches an all-timer. Yankees in four, honestly. You know, that's what I think is going to happen. I think the Yankees are going to move on. The Red Sox fans are going to be crying. I'm going to be bathing in their tears. A little reversal of 0-4. Bathing in the tears. That's strong. Bathing in their tears. I think the Yankees go out and win game five as well. If it you gets there. You and I are riding on our high horse, and then they run into the absolute buzzsaw of the Houston Astros. Yeah. Which yeah, which is not going to be comfortable. Is, no, but we don't have all. to get there yet. No, no, first no.
1: things first, polish off this series. Absolutely. Before we so, Tom m- can ch- so Tom can take a bath in those tears before the Houston Astros <laughs> Absolutely. come Absolutely.
0: I wish the Red Sox the worst of luck. And let's move on sincerely. to college football. Yes, sincerely. All right, so college football. Last week, we mentioned it on last Monday's Rundown pod. This was a very mediocre week of college yeah the slate
1: of games going in was not all that appealing but boy did that change
0: it turned around really quick and it seems to happen like that every single college football weekend where even if you don't have a good lineup of games some of them really get interesting there was a few upsets out there so let's start off with utah beating up on stanford bryce love had a terrible game ending stanford season yeah, I was wrong about
1: Stanford. Another one I was wrong eh, about. A lot of people were. Shit, man, we, we said we, we don't think that much of Washington. And Oregon, I think, is definitely the second best team in that conference. But Stanford just got annihilated. And Utah's sneaky, but they shouldn't go be able to go into Stanford and beat the Cardinal like that. Wow.
0: Yeah, Stanford's season is All but done. They're probably the third or fourth worst or or fourth best team in the Pac-12. Moving on, Notre Dame continues to win. Book looks really good. Um, I mean, they just keep on rolling. They're just going to keep rising up the polls.
1: I thought that was a big win for them because they went into Blacksburg to play a 24th ranked Virginia Tech team. Virginia Tech's not going to impress you overall, but that was a sneaky game. Remember, Notre Dame rode the high of beating of beating Stanford in Notre Dame, really whooping them. And there's always an opportunity when you go on the road that next week for a letdown. And I credit Brian Kelly, who I do not think is a great coach. He had his guys ready, and that and he seemed to have his guys ready every single game this year so far. And as an independent, when you're not playing in a conference. You know they play a lot of those rivalry games, and they seem to play a lot of pack or a lot of uh, ACC schedule games because they're kind of in that area. But I give them a lot of credit. That was a really nice showing for them down in Blacksburg. That's always a tough field to play in down there in uh, in Virginia Tech. So
0: c- kudos to them. Another uh, upset. Another upset coming up here. Mississippi State beats Auburn, and I don't think Auburn is who we thought they were they after clearly losing LSU and Mississippi State.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree they are not. Um, that was a bad performance by them. And Mississippi State and Starkville, I'm not going to say that's a tremendous home field advantage. In the SEC and college football as a whole, whenever you play at home, it's an advantage. I think of all sports, I think college basketball and college football, the craziest stuff happens when a team is on the, on the road or at home. Mississippi State on at home is such a different team, but they're still not a top 25 team. Auburn looked really flat. Stadium didn't play well. The defense looked vulnerable and this all but ended their season too. I mean, unless they do something crazy in the iron bowl against Alabama, which is in Tuscaloosa this year, which is, you know, not a place where they've played well, they haven't won a game there since Cam Newton went in there in 2010. Um, I I think that their, their season's done and, and, I'm not going to complain. I'm very happy about it. But a tough loss for them. Next, going back to the Pac-12, Washington survived. I tell you, man, they're just not all over that a, impressive.
0: Over a defeated UCLA team, they haven't won a game this year. No, the
1: Chip Kelly era is still winless, and but Washington only won is by seven. Is that seat seven. getting a little warmer? I don't think so. No? I, I promise you, dude. They're still not, beating the drum for Chip Kelly. huh? I'm not. I, I just think when you make a move like that, you've you've got to allow him to get his guys in there. I mean, they don't have a quarterback and he hasn't been able to recruit and bring in the personnel yet that can run his crazy system of offense. I think they're going to get better, but Jake Browning is just not that impressive to me at Washington. He was a guy that should have went last year when his stock was a little bit higher. He's like a fifth round quarterback. Now there's like I, in this, I thought there's going to be such a weak quarterback class. I still think it is. And he's just continues to fall. I know he won and they put up points, but it's not a electric 31 points.
0: Weak quarterback class, not looking good for your New York Giants who lost again today. Oh, so. my God. It's not Wednesday yet, Tom. I don't want to talk about the Giants today.
1: <laughs> um, next, going back to the SEC. 55-yard field goal. 63. <laughs> oh, shit. Fuck you. Um, so, Texas A&M knocks off Kentucky. So Kentucky loses their first game of the year. It was a nice run. It was a really nice run. I'm looking forward to seeing how they, how they come back. But you know, in college station with the 12th man, we saw how Clemson struggled. They only won by two. That is a tough place to play. And Jimbo Fisher has done a really good job at that program. I know they're not ranked. I know they're going to be in the AP after winning a game like this and upsetting then 13th ranked Kentucky. It was a defensive game. It was 20-14. to The quarterback for Kentucky couldn't quite make the big plays when he had to. Mond played pretty well for uh, Texas A&M. He had a couple turnovers of his own, but it seemed like he commanded the offense. He likes Jimbo Fisher's offense. Jimbo Fisher likes him running it. So pretty solid there. I thought that was a notable upset because, hey, you're knocking off a top 15 team. Um, they've showed a couple of really good performances this year. You've got to be encouraged. On the other side of the spectrum, you know, Chip Kelly doing nothing for UCLA, just like Frost is doing absolutely nothing for Nebraska. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's just moved right over to Texas A&M and has started to really put his footprint on that program. Next, Miami, man, boy, did they dodge a bullet, beating Florida State by one. One of my top four teams, not looking like a good pick. Ooh, that was that was ugly. They got very lucky to get out of there with a win.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see how they perform throughout the year. I mean, a lot of teams are getting upset, so they could jump right back into the top But 10. that was a Florida State team. that we. I mean, where are they scoring points?
1: Yeah. I mean, do you think that Francois just is getting a little healthier and he feels uh, a little think, more comfortable? I mean, even if they're not ranked – they get such good athletes that they're going to have to put up performances that where they score points and they look like a you know a, a, a respectable team in the country. even yeah, if it's yeah. a lost season,
0: I, I think Francois is just getting a little bit healthier. You see it with those ACL injuries, I talk about it all the time with the guys in the NFL. The more reps you get, the more time you get. You're going to look better. You're playing yourself into game shape. But that's moving on to another upset. Florida knocks off LSU. Twenty-seven to seven nineteen. Okay,
1: I was surprised by that game. I mean, listen, Florida yeah, me lost too. a couple Another weeks. game I had money on. Florida State, Florida State. You didn't like the chomp chomp last night, man? No, <laughs> not at all. So Florida, you know, they lost to Kentucky a couple weeks ago for the first time at home since '86, and that was before Kentucky. And I think in the minds of a lot of football people, Kentucky still isn't you know deserving of a really notable spot. Or a lot of respect nationwide, despite their ranking prior, especially prior to uh, yesterday's game. But I give Florida a lot of credit because they just don't score any freaking points. And LSU had been rolling; they were rated fifth in the country. They were steamrolling their way to that matchup with Alabama early in November, and they just kind of their defense just came out flat. And Ed Orgeron, who's done a really good job there, seemed to like really ignite them after, you know, a pretty bland end of the Les Miles era. I don't think that he was prepared for that game. Now, Florida's sneaky because they have athletes all over the field and their defense is stacked. And as always, those games, they like to keep those games under 20 points for the opponents. But Felipe Franks made a couple of really good throws, carving up a defense that has been one of the topest in the country. We say those two teams, in my opinion, are carving copies of each other. I know LSU is more has to face better competition in the SEC West, but those teams are known for for really stout defenses and kind of I won't say anemic, but sputtering offenses due to you know generally not great quarterback play and systems that don't generate a lot of good. You know, a lot of good, possible, positive yardage. But Felipe Franks played a really good game yesterday, and that was a big-time win for Florida. They were 22 in the country. They're going to move up within the top 15, I think, especially with some of the upsets this week.
0: I think it was more, I don't think Florida matters this year. I think it was a nice, fun win, but that's more of a big-time loss for LSU. Well, think of it this
1: way, though. Let's just say Georgia has a stinker. That's not planned completely out of nowhere. You know, let's say they lose to well, you uh, never play Missouri. At a stinker. No, but like one that you you don't even look at, like yeah. at least a game like this, you know, it's like you're, you lose to LSU. That's expected, right? But if, if Georgia gets upset, now the SEC East, they're gonna go to a tiebreaker, and if Florida if Florida's moving up the ranks, and Georgia maybe takes a hit, if Florida can find their way into an into an SEC championship game. That's big for them. That would be really big for them. Because they've been in the SEC championship game several before last year, two straight years, and had no chance against Alabama because they just couldn't score. But you never know. I mean, maybe they add a little more parity into the SEC East because you have Kentucky in there. And you have, you know, they're right behind Georgia, in my opinion. And then you've got Florida now who just put themselves on notice.
0: So I guess they're not as bad as you had originally alluded
1: to, Maybe I guess not. I mean, that's a a signature win. That's a big win to beat LSU like that. I mean, that was a really good game for them.
0: And the last game game I want to talk about was the game,
1: game of the year. Possible game of the year. We were joking about it before, but I think it's safe to say. Texas Tom Herman has Texas
0: back. Texas is back. Texas is back. Tiger's Today back. Today was the declaration. Texas is back. It's 2004 all over. <laughs> Side note on Tiger, though. I mean, listen, we don't really talk golf on this podcast, but the U.S. got absolutely murdered in the Ryder Cup. I'm not really a golf expert, but supposedly they did not match up the right guys with the right guys. Only Tom can transition a college football matchup to talking about Tiger Woods and the Ryder Cup. He did not play well, nor did Phil, nor did a couple other guys. I mean, the only guys that seemed to play well was Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and Patrick Reed. But I mean, whatever. You know, PGA. The, the new season's right around the corner. Can't All right, wait. Let's for get it. back to guys who let's did go play Tiger. well. Let's go, Tiger. Oh my God. Uh the Hookem Horns. So in the Red
1: rival Red River Shootout. Boy, that was a fun, entertaining game. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't a primetime game. They had it at noon on ABC.
0: Why? I don't. Know. I don't
1: know. I thought the slate of games this weekend really could have put that, really could have put them at, at that eight o'clock sweet spot on ESPN. But either way, Kyler Murray did his job. But that was a classic Big 12 game. No defense. Quarterbacks just trading blow after blow. Offense, big play after big play. But Tom Herman outlasted Lincoln Riley in that matchup coaching-wise, and that is a signature win. You know, they knocked off USC earlier, who we've said. USC, they're not back yet. They're not going to be. They've got a little bit of a time before they reload and restock. Then they knocked off TCU. TCU had had a really tough loss to Ohio State, and they had lost some guys to injuries. They weren't really at full strength for that game. But give Texas credit, they beat TCU, who's been a good team all year. Now they're fading off, but that's still a good team. And now they won their first really big game. Oklahoma was seventh in the country. And I know they didn't play well against Army, but they've played well against everybody else they faced. And this was certainly not a Kyler Murray issue. You know, if he if this was a 45 to 20 game, you could say that, okay, this good thing he went baseball. No, he was still making plays, but Texas's defense did step up when they needed to at the end. And they were just scoring at will on an Oklahoma defense that just looked like Swiss cheese. Really good win for Texas, and I think it's good for college football. Like you said, it's great. Got Tigers back, you know, for the ca- for the casual college football fan. They're tired of Alabama, and they're tired of the SEC, and particularly now going into the Big Ten with Urban Meyer, at Ohio State and and um, and Harbaugh at Michigan. They want to see more parity, especially with the blue bloods of college football who are the storied programs. You have your history. It's better for college football when when Notre Dame's good and when USC is good and when Texas is good. And, you know, they're not going to play in a significant bowl game. They're not going to get into the, into the college football playoff this year. But if they get a really good bowl game and they finish in the top 10, what a year for Tom Herman. And I think they just have their coach for the next 15 years.
0: Yeah, man, that, that was a really fun game, and they could probably end up finishing the season in the top ten if they continue their run. They're not going to make the college football playoff this year, but they definitely found their next head coach for probably a decade and a half. And, I completely and, agree with and you. And
1: good for them finding it. Like I said, I mean, that fan base is just— It had just, been a quest. It had been. I mean, that that program is and that fan base is all over the country, and they are so happy to have that back. And definitely that's another marketable program because— you definitely have your USC's and your Texas that you know the media and networks try to force into primetime games even when they suck because of the name. It's like in college basketball when you know Duke is down or North Carolina's down and it's like okay or Kentucky's down but they're constantly getting primetime games because they're trying to make sure that they're appeasing the, you know, millions of fans that they have around the country, even if they're not deserving of that because of their performance that season or their situation in their program. Well, in college football, that's what Texas is, and I think this is a big home run now for, for the NCAA getting back a, game, a team like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. So why don't we look ahead to a few games that we have highlighted. Better slate this week, in my opinion, a couple of really good games. This one, not so much. Although, Pittsburgh, again, broke my fucking heart. Had Syracuse. <laughs> Lost a little bit of money on Pitt's that. It's gritty. It is gritty. Pitt is a gritty team. They're playing number five, Notre Dame. In South Bend. In South Bend. I mean, come on. What's the spread on that one? I haven't checked yet, but honestly. 13 points or something? Probably.
1: Once again, you know, I have to circle these Notre Dame games because they don't play in a conference, and I want to see what they do. I want to. They had Pitt. A couple years ago, actually more, like six years ago now, the year that they went to the national championship against Alabama, and they were undefeated, and Pitt pushed them to three overtimes. So, you know, there's a history in this rivalry, if you want to call it a rivalry, they play every year. So, I want to say Pitt's not going to make—Pitt and Syracuse, to me, are very similar. You're never going to get an easy game with those guys. So— I want to see what they they do, if that game's easy, if it's kind of an uphill climb. I do expect them to win, and I think they'll pull away late, but I do think that that game's at least worth noting. The second one is the SEC game of the week. Number two, Georgia's going to 13 LSU, who is just reeling now after that loss to Florida. They're coming back home to Death Valley down there in LSU.
0: Where is the real Death Valley?
1: I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I, I mean, if you talk to college football traditionalists, it's LSU. Because there's like this, you know, this... Because Clemson kind of, calls their shit Death Valley too. Who else? There's a couple. There's a couple. I mean, I Clemson's definitely has gotten more famous over the last, you know, 10 years or so. But... There's, like, something special about LSU oh, wearing yeah. the purples on Saturday nights at home. You know? Like, that's a big deal. Does Florida deal. call
0: themselves Death Valley, too?
1: No. They're the, just
0: the, the stupid swamp. The swamp,
1: right? Yeah. Oh, Valley, Swamp. Same shit. <laughs> yeah, right? Green jacket, gold jacket. Who gives a shit? Um, I, I had but, seen
0: that on... Uh, they're watching the Clemson game. They, the camera panned out, and it was like, welcome to Death Valley. And I was like, what is there, 15 fucking Death well, Valley? that's in the country? where it's like,
1: you know, like, everybody like, loves to use the, the term, like, 12th man. So, like... That really got started in Texas A&M. And then, of course, the Seahawks take it in the NFL and whatever. You know, Death Valley is one of those terms. I'm sure people just like to use it because it's cool. Uh, and, well, not to be confused with Happy Valley and their Penn State. That's a little bit less daunting as far as yeah. the name is concerned, albeit it's still a tough atmosphere to play in, ask Ohio State. But, yeah, I mean, this game is the highlight of the weekend to me. LSU's got to come back now. You know, that SEC
0: West, we know Alabama's not going down anytime soon. So, yeah, I, you know, in in my opinion, I think the highlight of the week is the next game that we have on our slate. Number seven, Washington goes up to Oregon. This is a big time Pac-12 matchup and Oregon's looked a lot better. I think we're both in agreement that they're the second best team. Well, they should have beat Stanford. That was their big loss. Herbert's
1: good. He's a quarterback. He, He just seems to play well every single week.
0: I mean, listen, I could see Oregon winning this game. I, I, I really could. Too. could. We're,
1: we're not impressed with Browning and, and, and Washington. And I know that they're ranked 10th, but I, I don't know. I, I, I They're going to fall at some point. And, and, you know, I know they lost to Auburn early, but that's out of conference against an SEC game in a neutral site. This is their first real road test. And um, I, I think in Eugene. That's a tough place to play, and and I could see. I very much. I'm actually gonna pick Oregon to win this game.
0: Okay, we're making picks now. Nice. I'm just picking. I'm gonna go with Oregon too. I don't know what the spread is, but we'll take the money. The the Oregon money line. I'm not gonna use this as my sperm bang pick of the week. That's my thing. (laughs) Copyrights, dude. Talk to my lawyers about that one. Um, but moving on. Don't scare me. (laughs) Moving on to the next one, we have number six. Who has? Who have they played this year? West Virginia, against Iowa State at Iowa State. Have they played anyone this year? No.
1: Uh, and, uh, or uh, Texas Tech, which was that crazy shootout game. Yeah. Um, reason for this one, I don't know if you saw what Ohio or Iowa State just did to Oklahoma State. In Stillwater, beat the living crap out of them. It was a 22-point game. So I, I'm going to continue to say it. They're not an easy team to play in Ames. And I do expect West Virginia to take this game, but I do not think it's going to be easy. And if Iowa State had laid down And just died against Oklahoma State. And it wasn't even a game. I wouldn't have even put this down on our notes. But Iowa State just took it to Oklahoma State. Who I know was on the very end of the top 25. But a top 25 team nonetheless. They've got talent. They're going home. That's a tough place to play. Like you said. Who has West Virginia played? Well now they're about to play a team that. You know. Ranking wise is not really worth noting. But. They're they're a good program. They've got good players. This is going to be a test for Will Greer and and the Mountaineers.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the final game we have on our uh, highlighted slate here is number 15, Washington going to number... Sorry, whatever. Wisconsin. Yeah, you're right. My bad. But whatever, doesn't matter. <laughs> that team's not going to win the championship. Neither we just talked about
1: Washington going to U- Oregon. <laughs> if they could go to uh, Michigan too, that'd be incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But they are go. Wisconsin actually is going to Michigan. I think Wisconsin probably wins this game. I really don't like Harbaugh. I, I, I don't either. I'm I, rooting for Wisconsin in this I am game too. I, I it would be so funny if Harbaugh got fired. It, it would be, be right? hired by the Giants. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> I'm not going there yet.
1: Fifteen. I want no part of him. By the way, um, yeah, fifteen against twelve. This is the matchup of the of the of the week in the Big Ten, and it's going to be low scoring. Defenses are going to really flex their muscle. It's going to come down to what quarterback is going to be able to make the play at the end of the game. Uh, playing in the Big House, I think that's one of the most overrated quote unquote home field advantages in the country. I don't think they have any home field advantage. Those games are always sloppy. They're always low scoring. I don't know if it's more great defense or the fact the offenses are just anemic, but I could see this game being like a 20 to 16 kind of game, you know, which seems has been the trend in the big 10 this year, unless you're Ohio state or Penn state. So I'm hoping to see a Wisconsin win. I'm not sure either way though. It's going to be a really good matchup as we, you know, push through. We're into week 7 now yep. of
0: the college football season. Heisman watch coming on strong. Yeah, Will Greer to me is is the first, is leading that race. When did the when do the playoff committee release their shit?
1: Good good question. Uh no, they're they're coming out in the uh the first weekend of November.
0: Okay. So, we'll definitely be talking about that again revealing their opinions, I'm sure. Every fan base, when but four of them. When do they come out with their shit? <laughs> every fan base, <laughs> but four of them. Well, the NCAA comes
1: out with plenty of shit every day, Absolutely. And every week. But yeah, the rankings will come out. They'll start doing that in November. In the first week of November, they do that for like four weeks, five weeks, and then they get into the, um, and then they get into picking the teams right after um, all the conference championship games, which is like the first weekend of December.
0: All right, well, that about wraps it up for this pod. So just to lay out the week for us, we are recording an NBA preview. Are you excited? Tonight, we will be releasing that on Thursday for the Eastern Conference, Friday for the Western Conference, and then we will have our usual Wednesday podcast. So we will be going into the future tonight to Thursday and Friday, and then Wednesday we will have our regular NFL podcast. Um, Aside from that, just go Yankees. Let's go Yanks. Waiter man four games baby let's go that's it